Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. This week's Acquirers podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Validia. Validia runs quantitative stock selection models using strategies based on academic papers and books with long-term track records of success. You may recognize Validia since two of its founders, Jack Forehand and Justin Carboneau, both good friends of mine, have appeared as guests on the podcast. With value stocks showing signs of turning around, Validia offers more than 10 systematic value models backed by long-term research, including strategies based on Joseph Piotrowski's F-score, Ben Graham's defensive investor from The Intelligent Investor, Joel Greenblatt's Magic Formula, The Value Composite from Jim O'Shaughnessy's What Works on Wall Street, and many others. Investors can access these strategies through concentrated 10 and 20 stock model portfolios or see how stocks rank based on each model's specific investment criteria. Through the end of March, Validia is offering 33% off an annual subscription to both its standard and professional product listeners of the Acquirers podcast. To find out more about Validia or to take a free trial, you can go to validia.com forward slash Toby. Again, that's V-A-L-I-D-E-A.com forward slash Toby. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Get the podcast name right this time. <laughs> hello, <laughs> hello, folks. It is the uh, Value After Hours. I almost got it wrong again. It's Value After Hours. It's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast, 6.30 UTC. PM 6:30 AM Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's the uh, it's the pod after the Buffett letter has dropped. So we're doing an entire pod dedicated to the letter, the company, and the great man. How are you, fellas? I'm good. It's like Christmas morning on Saturday morning. That's right. I actually didn't even know that it came out. I had house guests this weekend, and it was one of the most enjoyable experiences of my entire life. Getting the letter? Not not waiting for it? <laughs> no, no. Like, uh, my kids had kids to play with, and, like, I saw a friend that I hadn't seen in three years. It was really nice to have human interaction. Mm. What's Expect that? this face in a city near you once uh, vaccinations <laughs> <laughs> occur. I'll be hitting the road. Hide your wives and daughters. Well, there's nothing to worry about there, but you may need to get your liver ready. <laughs> I, I'm so sad I had the screen open beforehand, and then all I had to do was refresh it in the morning and have the uh, 2020 pop-up. So sad. I I may or may not have tried to URL hack it on Friday, <laughs> hoping that maybe like they'd put it up already. Yeah, without, without linking. It. Yeah, didn't work. We got our first downvote. Hit, hit us, guys! Hit us with the. Uh, it's all. It's all good. It's all good interaction. Is it? I think it got reversed. Someone couldn't bring themselves. That's good. You should have felt bad about that. It's too early. Yeah, wait till we say something stupid first, yeah. then you can hit us. You're not gonna that. have to wait long. Yeah. Who wants to open yeah. the shebang? How are we gonna do this? Like, I, I, I think I should probably go last because I'm gonna have the most. Super- it, Bill's on Bill's on uh, footnote sixteen, and I'm guessing JT's read them all. So, who wants to take it away? The most comprehensive understanding should go first, and then I can hide my JT, ignorance as we go through. You've oh, been voted. Car. You've been voted, sir. Just because I do a little homework, I gotta eat that's the it. sandwich. That's it. Indeed. 
You're All welcome, right, well, sir. Let's, let's start at the, high, <laughs> the highest level for me. Maybe this is downvotable, but I thought this was one of the best letters he's written in recent memory. Hmm. And the reason why I feel that way is that it had it had such a beautiful subtlety to it. He didn't call out specifics that he very easily could have. And I know that that kind of makes some people mad. Like they like when Munger gets on and like calls out people by name and uh, by behavior. But like <sighs> Buffett took such a the high road and was so classy. And you know that he does not put a word out of place in these letters. So if you're reading between the lines, there's plenty of of scorn to be picked up. Um, but he doesn't do it in a way that like tarnishes him at all. And he does it in such a subtle way that that it will age tremendously well. I think that's my hypothesis. This this letter will age really well. And the things that he said will be a- applicable to later time periods where similar behavior is happening, but they but they use different euphemisms and use different terms uh, for whatever the vehicle is that is doing the shenanigans and it will still apply. And, and in that way, like to me, this was a masterclass in subtlety and, um, and then the other part is optimism, right? Like looking at the broad sweep of history, especially American history and business and how things have grown, what they've turned into. Uh, and then lastly, the uniting of, of America again, in a way. Um, and, you know, by talking about the East coast with Geico, the West coast with seas and then, and then, you know, what he called, if you're flying over, you know, tip your cap to people in the Midwest, uh, like Jack Greenwald and national indemnity or Clayton Holmes in, in Tennessee, uh, or pilot, uh, flying J also. So all of these things together in, you know, call it, 10 fifth inside the business as well like to me this is this is a great letter yeah i couldn't agree more i i go through when i when i send my little tweets out summarizing what somebody said i often can take out a lot of uh verbiage and summarize all the way down to get to the pith of what they're trying to say it's incredibly difficult to do that with buffett because there are no words that shouldn't be there you have to alter the meaning slightly to sort of to, to cut him down so he's not He's not wasting any words when he when he writes, which is kind of, which is amazing in a in a in a letter that length. It was it's always straight to the pith, and that's the other thing. I've become increased. It's taken me a little while to sort of appreciate it, but I really do love his optimism, and I do think it's one of the um, secrets of his success. Maybe secret, not so secret, but it's certainly um, that optimism at all stages. You know, he's often criticised. So and and you know, to be fair, I've done it. I've criticized him for it, but he will say, you know, he'll he'll create the Buffett yard, the Buffett measure of the market and use that as a yardstick for how expensive the market is. And then when he's asked in 2007 at the very peak what he thinks, he says he thinks it's undervalued and he thinks it's going to, it's going to look pretty good. And he said the same thing, you know, over recent years. But I do think that that's part of his um, genetic makeup and it's part of his success that he's always very optimistic about the future and when he looks when he describes the history the way that he does uh it's hard not to be optimistic along with him it does seem like it's a it's a there are lots of good reasons to be optimistic so i, I really enjoyed reading the letter too and i agree that it was uh, one of the better ones that i've read recently i liked it <laughs> nothing to add yep i have nothing to add no i, I mean look I, he's the man I think that, 
you know, some of the things that he didn't say are as important as the things that he did say. So, you know, I liked I liked that he took a little bit of a shot at the promoters. Um, I don't know. I thought that there was a pretty interesting odd lots on Monday that people can listen to about SPACs. And uh, I don't know. It's just it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I have somewhat conflicting like feelings on like when he did his zero six twenty five right yeah partnership or whatever like that was pretty close to the risk-free rate so i've been trying to think about like how different are some of the economics that people are extracting today than what he did uh answer but i know that um I, I said on on the Twitter machine, I said that Buffett is like Babe Ruth, right? And like you could have, there might be people that catch him. Um, there's something that's special about Babe, and I think there's something that's special about Buffett too. And I think it's the way that uh, there's a nostalgia about their brands, right? And like I don't think, um, I don't think that. Buffett is like this grandpa that's always he I don't think he's always been this grandpa I think it's a very cultivated image but I think he's incredibly good at it and you know if I have a career that's worth listening to at the end and I treat it with you know the same sort of gloves that Buffett does I'll be pretty proud of myself um and I know that I already don't so I have a long way to go um, I'm a little more loose lip than Buffett may be at times but uh well, let me you know, throw, let me throw this it. at you. Let me throw this at you. He he makes more jokes about sex than uh, any other corporate letter out there. So, to, yeah. to what extent is he really cultivating the grandpa image? Well, that's what old men do. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> as long as you say it with a smile. There's some stuff in the I letters mean, that I wouldn't write. Like, there's some stuff that he puts in there that I just, you know, not not. Yeah. Well, you'd get cancelled. That's probably right. That's part yeah. of why he's so good at branding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does have leeway that other people don't have, right? Um, you know, I, I think, like, um, you know, like, so Marcelo P. Lima tweeted out, like, is Buffett still the best investor of all time? And he said, like, VCs have created all these industries. I mean, one thing that I think people have to understand is, like, uh, you know, one, the guy is 90, you know, so I'm not sure that uh, his fastball has quite the pace on it that it used to have. I'd still take a 90-year-old Buffett over me in my prime all day long. And on top of that, like, I just don't, sometimes I think that some of these businesses and some of these deals get uh, a little bit discounted because of who he is right and it's like what he has done with Berkshire Hathaway energy is incredible and I don't know like you know it was kind of cool I was uh, somewhere in the 10k he's talking about the I, th I think it was what was it um hang on it's the energy deal that he consummated right and he's talking about like he he uh so he acquired a the economic interest in Cove Point right but they uh you know, when he he gave the uh, ability of, to Dominion to, like, claim some of the assets back is not part of the sale. But, you know, he took, like, 100% of the GP economics, right? And they were allowed to keep some of the LP economics. And it's just like, man, this guy's so good at structure. Um, 
But, you know, I, I do, I guess the one thing that uh, Buffett is most definitely not a quant Robin Hood investor. Negative, sir. Um, anyway, uh, I guess that, like, the one thing that I keep sort of going back to as I, like, watch the business unfold, I understand that tech's not in his circle of competence, per se. But what I don't understand is, like, why... They are. They were. They've been so unwilling to swing at some of the the tech companies that are pretty easy to identify and have been at least for the last five years. And like, I guess I understand that you could say, well, he doesn't want to take a zero, and you can't have a permanent impairment of capital. But like on any given insurance risk, you could get screwed. So I don't understand why that level of scrutiny is applied to investments sometimes. Um, it's hard for me to reconcile. That's interesting. So he takes a probabilistic approach to insurance, but not yeah, the same like, approach to investing. Yeah, like I don't, I don't understand why he. They seem to me to be like so focused on making these concentrated bets that they make them when there's almost no risk. But it's like, well. But if you look at the history of the equity markets and you listen to what he says about buying an index and over time America is going to work, like why would that – there seems to be a disconnect in logic to me. So you would say take a smaller bet on something that has the good economics that a Google does if you can get it at the right price, which you know maybe you have been able to on occasion over the last 10 years since they sort of started discussing it as a mistake. Yeah, and like maybe you think that um, put five billion into it. Yeah, right. And then like maybe you buy another five billion if you're down a bit. As long as the business is good enough, like I mean, rather than just accumulating all this cash waiting to deploy it, when it's like pretty clear there's not an elephant big enough that's going to hit the market. Now March, I I do I mean in March I thought he'd get his shot right so maybe that's what he was waiting for and maybe the government bailed everybody out and that's why you see twenty four billion dollars of buybacks this year I mean that's very possible but that's sort Can of the you, only thing that I don't know. Couldn't you argue though that he did bag an elephant this year, and it was Berkshire itself twenty five billion dollars worth of it I mean that's a big number. Of, yeah. Like if he had spent twenty five billion to buy another company outright, we'd be like, "Ooh, got the elephant gun out, eh?" <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I do think Berkshire is the elephant that he's been waiting for, and I think it probably disappoints him quite a bit. Because <laughs> I don't think he wants to be a buyback guy. Like I, I don't. That's not what he's been waiting for for 10 years, accumulating cash to buy in shares of Berkshire. Like, that's pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> the amount of criticism that he got for doing it, it's kind of funny. Like, we've all been calling for a reasonable size buyback in Berkshire for a little while. And I think everybody was surprised at how small it was in the in the quarter immediately following March last year. And his excuse was that, they have, and he said it explicitly in this letter that they have. In addition to the stock being cheap, they also need to make sure that they've got enough liquidity, you know, for anything else that might eventuate. Which was, that's a that's a fine excuse. But then uh, I thought his his explanation of it was excellent. Right, he says we spent thirty six billion on Apple. Um, we've got seven hundred and seventy five million dollars in average on dividends, and then we sold a portion of it. We sold eleven billion dollars worth this year. And we started with 5.2%, but because Apple's also been buying back its stock, now we have 
this is BS, man. This is this doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like, like he's he's like, oh, and voila, you own more without doing a thing. You haven't taken a penny out of your own pocket. Well, you have. If you think that the capital at Apple is essentially your own, and you think that they're making rational buybacks below intrinsic value, then like, why are you selling eleven billion here? Or whatever he sold, maybe it's not eleven billion. That's maybe he like said. He said eleven. It was eleven. Yeah. Okay. So, like, why are you trimming Apple while you're also saying, "Voila, we"? I mean, it's it's kind of clear to me that he doesn't like these buybacks, but he's not going to go out and say it. It doesn't have to be not liking the buybacks. I mean, Apple got pretty expensive uh, through the. Well, they've been buying right. So, I mean, it's not voila. You could have yeah. had cash in your pocket. This isn't like some free lunch that exists that like companies can just buy their shares at super elevated prices and it doesn't impact shareholders. Like that's uh, that's corporate Whoa, PR there, for Elizabeth the people Warren. that don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Warren's comment was that companies anonymously buy back their shares in the market, and yeah, the only reason they do it stupid. is to make the it's not worth talking stock about price this. go up. She's, a moron but when like, it comes to this topic. That's a pretty accurate description of what's happening, isn't it? Like aside from the anonymously, I don't know what that's all about, but that's a reasonably accurate description of what they're doing. I don't see why that's moral or immoral or anything. Like, So when you issue shares, you're a gigantic hero because you're issuing shares to the public and that because that's the reverse of a buyback, right? That's good and She's moral. an idiot. This is Bizarre so stupid statement. to give attention to. All right. All right. To get back to, it, to Bill's what, point, what she's saying is they're just propping up their stock price for CEO compensation. Like, fine. If I, I have plenty of issues with how CEOs are compensated and how corporations are run. Buybacks is not the issue here. At the wrong price, they are. There are lots of bad buybacks. Yeah. This I, is like the Jason Voorhees of topics. It just will not die. Like, it just it's keeps just so back. stupid. It's stupidity. But then one of, the, one of the headlines that I saw, too, was Buffett defends buybacks. I was like defending he it. Should we've defend been buybacks. We've been calling for it. I I think they meant specifically like he undertook some buybacks in Berkshire. Buffett defends buybacks in Berkshire. Like the, there's like Chris Bloomstrand wrote this um this like fan fiction where, where they bought back like twenty or forty billion dollars worth last time. And I was like, that that'd be great. You know, that'd be fun. That didn't happen though. <laughs> I agree with Bill's point though that that Buffett used the word costless. And that is not true. I, I quibble with that word in this context. There is absolutely the opportunity cost of what that capital could have gone towards if they could have reinvested it in their business different ways that were profitable at both Berkshire and Apple, right? So it wasn't a costless improvement for you as a shareholder. I don't I don't agree with that word. Yeah. And he thinks about the words he writes. Like we just talked about how That's well true. he writes. So why the hell did he use that word? That's like frustrating to me. I don't like when he does this stuff, and I think it's because his audience is too wide now. Why did he sneak it in? To, I, I, I thought it was funny that he snuck in the discussion of selling uh, the, like the $11 billion of Apple into that kind of context of the rest of that discussion. I thought he was just like, I'm just going to sneak in the bad news that I've sold a little bit with all of this other stuff. Did you, did you pick up that uh, he said that the... I forget the exact terminology, but basically he let us know that whoever it was, Todd or Ted, that had bought Apple before, <laughs> sold. So in, a, in a separately separate account. Or something yeah, that's like what that. he said. Something like separately, like separate account or something. 
thought that was a I, little bit interesting. Yeah. I kind of wonder tip the cards too often on what those guys are doing. So, yeah. I guess I wonder why they don't have a little bit more money to put to work. That would be the other thing that I'd be kind of interested to be able to ask him. Yeah. Like, I don't know, give them three or five billion more. Don't, don't they have that kind of money? Don't they have like 10 H, something like that? Give them more. That's what I'm saying. But what's, like, the, what's the real free free float of cash there? Like, aside from this, there's some that's that's backed by, or not backed, but it's like, it's, it, it is backing yeah, it's got a the... Yeah, uh, 20 billion-ish, I think he cites as like, we're not, we won't go below 20 billion in cash okay. for insurance reasons. Okay. So he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of float there. He's got a lot Something of I always forget about is that derivative contract that he's got outstanding those puts. I do wonder whether or not he was sort of like thinking about something in March. I mean, it it couldn't have been a, a, like enough to like hurt the company, but I do kind of wonder if in March he was like, man, if everything cracks, these damn puts that I sold might actually end up screwing me a little bit. He must be ahead on that now. I mean, he must be like that. Well, must he be is like now, a vanishingly but... small number. Yeah, well, for today, but I mean, March 2020, before the Fed bailed everybody out, I'm not sure that that was that clear. It's not much. Like, there was a lot of uncertainty in March 2020 that he was probably looking at. So everybody that wants to like result and be like, oh, well, yeah. everybody else bottom ticked it. Why didn't Buffett? Maybe it's because he runs an <laughs> operating company. And more importantly, an yeah. insurance company that needs to be able to meet claims to keep its sterling reputation. Yeah. Speaking of insurance companies, is did you find it interesting that he called out bonds the way that he did? And like when you think through like the next step of that, like, boy, what an advantage they're gonna have as equity holders as an insurance company when everyone else can't really do that and they're stuck in an asset that will maybe depreciate on them at, at the worst and at the best case, it's going to be a very, very anemic yield, which means that you can't subsidize your underwriting through your investment portfolio, which means you're going to have to raise rates or you're going to have to give up business or something if you're an insurance company. Uh, whereas, so I would, I think that they're actually in a, in a very, very advantaged position to be where they are and the ability to write now at harder insurance pricing along with having, not being stuck in the bonds like everyone else is. I don't, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, it'd be nice if they put more money to work to widen the spread, though. <laughs> what did you think about the? I, mean, I, I don't disagree. Precision cost parts, uh, kind of owning that as a mistake. Well, it was a mistake. I'm more concerned with this Verizon investment. I don't know what the hell he's doing in Verizon. I really don't. I've tried to rack my brain to think about it. I mean, if somebody wants to tell me it's a low multiple dividend yield, like okay, I think. That's probably not how Buffett's investing. I mean, that seems a little basic. Unless he just wants a perpetual dividend yield on Verizon, which I guess could maybe serve the insurance float somehow. But, like, that company is not going to – I mean, they, they are going to need to invest a lot of money in their business. I'm not sure it's a free cash flow machine ever. VZ. So going back to uh, Precision – I did like a, looked at a little bit of math on it, and he, so he paid a thirty-eight billion dollar enterprise value in twenty sixteen, and for that he got uh, it was like about twenty times no pat and twenty five times the last five year average. Uh, so this this ten dollar ten billion dollar write down that he did on that 
basically brought him back down to a, about a 10 times EV to EBIT. Uh, so that's sort of like what he historically would have been willing to pay. And when he paid up, the business didn't deliver the growth that he kind of needed it to for the price that he to paid. To justify it, yeah. And so the margin of safety wasn't quite there as much. Uh, and the idea that uh, buying quality as your margin of safety, it can disappear on you occasionally. Um, and so the price still is a big part of that margin of safety, uh, despite a lot of hand-wringing to the, that I feel like a lot of the conversations today are, the last thing discussed is always valuation. And it's not like, it's always how good is the business? That's like 95% of the conversation. And then, oh yeah, a little addendum, by the way, here's how much we're paying for it. Yeah, but I think a lot of people don't actually think that, uh, and this isn't like before this year. I think a lot of people that cover aerospace didn't think Precision was that good of a business. I mean, I mean that's just what good. people that own Heiko and Transdime have decided that, I mean, Precision was not as good of a business. I, I heard that from a lot of people well before the write down. I, I just, I don't know. I did think that it was interesting that he commented that like he overestimated average earnings. Cause that's how I underwrote the airlines. And I was happy to see that we were probably thinking somewhere along the same lines, not like rocket science, right? It's a cyclical. You should try to normalize it. But, um, I thought that was kind of interesting. It's funny that the airlines have proven to be so cyclical. It did look like they had kind of hardened up a little bit. You know, there there's are... a fucking pandemic, dude. I, I'm aware. I was, but I'm just like no one thought that you could stop the entire industry. Yeah, but it's not. That's not so much cyclical. That's almost like force majeure, isn't it? It's like yeah. But yeah. then I guess there's a lot of. But there's always something that comes along eventually, yeah. right? That is yeah. somewhat right. is going to force the hands. Some sort yeah. of recession. So that's an example. Like he bet on the industry. That industry had a left tail event that had a probability of coming out that could result in in permanent impairment of capital. And you can't buy Google. Yeah. Like I don't understand why that's a bet that he's comfortable with, but like big tech that they understand is not. I just, I just I and I'm not trying to criticize the guy. I just like to go to dinner with him even though I'm not going to but if I could that would be the conversation I'd want to have and like Tren I talked to Tren about it quickly on Twitter and he was like well tech's not inside their circle of competence and it's like okay well I mean I do understand that statement and it's it's definitely true I mean they've said it over and over again but I guess the questions that I have is like one is saying it over and over again causing them to create a cognitive uh, mistake that they rail against constantly and two uh like why why is, I mean, why is google any more technical and precision car part, cost parts i don't know right i mean that's the thing you're talking about like why is it any different from apple it's like it's almost like a consumer habit thing and I like mean, maybe yeah. the better analogy would be like a a global newspaper which they yeah. understand pretty well classifieds yeah I mean, maybe the issue is that they don't feel like within, like outside of their circle of competence, they don't feel like they can assess the range of payouts well enough. Like that would potentially be an answer that I'd be comfortable accepting. I think I'd probably push back on it, but they're them and I'm me. It's it's one of the funny things about out. treating all of those. I mean, I sort of am. Treating the tech companies. I, I told them they were wrong to sell wells. I was right there. 
<laughs> then I did it at a lower price, like a moron. <laughs> Thanks, taxes. But it, it is funny treating tech as a monolith when there really is, like, there are lots of different business. Microsoft is nothing like Google, is nothing like Amazon, is nothing like Facebook, really. Like, Facebook and Google are probably the closest together, and they're still pretty distinct businesses in pretty distinct they don't directly compete in much stuff probably increasingly so all of them are competing together but i don't know if that's what i was gonna say yeah that was used to be true probably more so but we're probably heading in a direction where that actually is more true isn't that funny why is that chasing there's only so many advertising dollars to go around i don't know i mean even amazon how to get yours you can buy ads on amazon if you want to sell your stuff on Amazon, I mean, like, how do they not? How do they not buy Amazon ever? Like, they they got that. I'm sure they got One that. One of the boys did, right? And and like the active Robinhood investors saying both Charlie and Buffett regretted not buying Google. They admitted their mistake. My point is that there every single day from 2010. Oh yeah, or <laughs> or until like one of the biggest mistakes in investing, I think, is saying, "Oh, I missed it." I think that can cost you a ton of money. I think it can cause you to turn your brain off to an opportunity that you now understand. Part of saying I missed it is then also saying, well, today I understand it. When, so when did they cop to that? you truly missed it. When did they say that uh, first? I think that was like three or four years yeah, ago, is wasn't that all, it? Is that all? Yeah. But you know they meant it a long time ago. Like, like I bet they were talking about it in 2014. Ah, we missed it. Well, it's one of those – It's it's a – I think that Google does get cheap on occasion if you back out the cash. We were talking about this before we came on, but there were a lot of there was a lot of discussion around about two. I can't remember exactly, but 2014, 15, 16, in much the same way that there was a lot of discussion about Microsoft in 2011, 12, 13, as it was being as it being too cheap. And it may be now that the discussion is Facebook is too cheap. Like you might have other reasons for not wanting to own Facebook, but quantitatively. It's, it's reasonably cheap at the moment based on the quality of the business. You've got to make some assumptions about the continued growth. And Bill and I can have an argument about the terminal risk there, but it's, I don't think we're going to argue. Actually, I think we're probably going to agree. It's probably, you know, everybody I think is standing around saying, well, Facebook's cheap. It's just some people are going to buy it and some people are not. And I'd say in five years' time, the people who buy it are probably right. Yeah, unless uh, concerns materialize, right? That's <laughs> like everything. But I agree with you. I mean, I own some of it. I'm not buying it like actively hand over fist here, but I, I think that it's uh, I think it's pretty cheap. I think their big risk is, you know, Australia's pushback on them, Canada's pushback on them. There's, I don't, I haven't actually followed it that closely, but they did, you know, they cut off all of the traffic to, um, to the local websites in Australia, and that that caused some sort of outcry, and then they had some sort of negotiated resolution. But I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a permanent position. I don't, I don't know what they're seeking to achieve. They're getting people to pay for the links, pay, pay for outgoing links. What did we do before Facebook existed? How did you how did you get your links? You use that Google uh, link share. I think I'm over my skis talking about this, but I my understanding is it has to do with the news media in Australia and using their content without paying them. So you you. Well, I don't know. What's a popular Sydney Sydney Morning know, Herald? Uh, there's, there's two okay. groups. Sydney Morning. There's like the, the Sydney Morning Herald uh, complex, and then there's Rupert Murdoch's papers. So you, as a as an 
Australian go and copy paste a link to the Sydney some article in that and then share it with your friends and not and then Sydney's not getting paid for that and that's what they're trying to because they force. accept they accept like the first paragraph or something like that and nobody reads beyond the headline of the first paragraph and so they don't get to sell advertising is that the I don't know I'm not sure what the it sounds like there's some political like Murdoch behind it, like pushing yeah. the government to crack down on. So I was just get, thinking, get yeah. him paid. I don't know. But it was like somebody's politician or some some puppet somewhere got a, something in there. Almost whatever, and they're now they're making a big deal. But Canada followed suit, didn't they? Is that some other I don't newspaper? Know. Facebook's baron up there? so interesting I don't know. because I feel like people um like. All the politicians need them, but all the politicians also need to bitch about them. So it's like a really interesting sort of like whipping boy that I, I bet you like really take like if Facebook, if Zuckerberg was just like, all right, fine, you guys can't advertise and target on this. Like politicians would be shocked. They wouldn't know what to do. Like the rage machine would really, really take a notch down and then they'd actually have to. You know, do something. You know, for they're society. all boys. They're all boys behind Whoa. the scenes. They're all boys behind the scenes. That they're all buddies. This is all just pantomime for the for the rest. of I us. know. That's uh, what I'm saying. They just they all get along. They're just it's all just a show. Follow the money. It always tells the answer. Uh, one thing about Google that's Cherry. funny is if I have to look something up on my blog, I Google it. On your blog. <laughs> yeah. Like, search I don't even yourself. look on the blog. I don't even search the blog. I'm just like, okay, this is the company. This is the blog name. And then I just, like, if I ever paste anything, it's always got a Google, you know, link. I do the same the thing paste. on lots of sites. It's easier to use the the Chrome search bar than it is to go into the search on the site. Yeah. So It's, it's a better search experience. What else about the buff dog? Hey, how about uh, Charlie back for next, for this year? Yeah, going coming back to you to live LA. from LA. <laughs> Gotta like that. Kind of dope. Hell yeah. I I thought getting the, the band uh, back together. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good at Daily Journal. I'll be interested to see if he fires fires some shots at Berkshire. I'm so excited for this because it's like last year not having him was one. You know, Batman didn't have Robin to play off of, and it makes a it made a big difference like you needed somebody there to sort of be the heavy so buffett could be the the plucky optimist right uh but then you bring him back now and like to me is like i'm almost kind of glad he wasn't there last year because now i'm really going to appreciate him being there this year that was a, I had a different take last year i loved the meeting i loved the meeting. <laughs> you like the you like the, the the pitch dark auditorium with buffett sitting in the middle with like bedraggled buffett hair like this yeah, because there were none of these <laughs> stupid questions. I thought I thought they did a really good job culling the questions last year and like kept it to business stuff. That's what I liked about it. I think they need I, to do I a better that, but you get Munger too. Need to do a better yeah. job at DJK of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, although I'd argue this one, you got a lot of life lessons again, which that's I'm what, just tired. Of. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Like, do you want this or do you want no. what kind of business? You want to hear more about yes, the business? Yes, you got right? like yeah. two business geniuses. Ask yeah. them business questions. Yeah. You want life stuff, go to Tony Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, well. Hey, did you pick up uh, that he, he, he said that some, he's talking about the different buckets of investors inside of Berkshire, whether it's 
you know, institutional yeah. or index or individuals. That was a great conversation or uh, section, by the way, just talking about Phil Fisher's idea from 1958 about getting the customers, the clientele that you deserve, right, as shareholders. But anyway, he's he's saying like there's some investors active who use Berkshire as kind of a placeholder, right? Like for cash, they'll just park in Berkshire. And he's, he said he doesn't have any quibbles with that and that they actually have positions like that for themselves. And I was wondering, like, what do you think in that portfolio is a placeholder position like people use Berkshire for? It's a, yeah, that was a, I was a little bit surprised when he said that too, because we've just, as we were just discussing before, he's got that approach where he doesn't really take a position until, you know, there's, That's not there's a no risk. Mentality, is yeah. It? <laughs> I've I've heard lots of people say that to me in the past that they use Berkshire as like a cash substitute, which I always thought was funny. Like it's still marked a market. But isn't the point of it that when the like what you're really holding your cash for is you get a March 2020 so you can go spend it. And guess what happened in March 2020? Your Berkshire got marked a market too. Yeah, I kind of understand it though. Like I have the least amount of cash that I've ever had, and I'm really nervous about it. But I'm also really nervous about holding cash. And Berkshire is part of the way that I'm like, you know, yeah, I know. I know. So part of me is like, well. Powell got you. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Yes. I fully admit it. I mean, but I don't know what you do with it. You want to stay inside the risk curve and just watch stuff. There's no good answer. Yeah. It's a very hard time to invest. Anybody who's been disciplined, anybody who's done that and hold cash has been so thoroughly punished that they don't have much left at this point. Yeah, well, it was a big part of the reason that I had a big year last year, right? Was I had a decent amount of cash to deploy in, deploy in March. I don't have that bullet now. So that's probably when I was saying that I feel the most uneasy that I've ever felt. That's probably part of why I feel so uneasy. Could you reverse engineer a put or something like that? Like what, like work, nah, work out what kind of cash you want if the market goes down by X percent before the end of the year and then put a put on? Why not just raise a little more cash and sleep like a baby? That does, that, I mean, that I would sleep okay. It's not like I don't sleep well. It's just, I mean, actually, I don't. I woke up super early. Fucking kids. Like 3 a.m. Dad, oh, I peed. Stop peeing. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that I liked about the letter is I liked how Buffett said that taking duration risk wasn't a good um, like yeah. solution to the problem of yields and also you know taking credit risk I, I didn't think that that was like particularly uh earth shattering advice but it's nice to hear quote risky loans are not the answer to inadequate interest rates yeah mm. well and i think people should think about that when they're looking at like low multiple stocks uh i do think that like you gotta understand that there's a lot of shit goes in the low multiple world. So, you know, if you're coming here because you love low multiples, know that uh, the three of us do something around that problem, right? So, I mean, you can't hang you somebody this. for that. What? Like in low multiples. I but like you low don't multiples. Just strict, yeah, but you don't strictly like low multiples. That's my point. No, I'm trying to buy, yeah. I'm trying to buy you know, cheap, cheap cash flows and cheap cash. So the people that I'm concerned about, like, because we do actually have a following now that people like come here to learn. I'm just here to say, I don't know why y'all come here, but thank you for <laughs> yeah. coming. Um, you know, it's just to say, like, you got to apply more filters than just price. Yeah. Um, that's important. But 
Toby, if you could only apply one filter, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, I've got my I've got my metric. Yeah, but um, you have overlays on it. Yeah, like you have accounting. You have accounting protection overlays, for in, for instance, correct? Yeah, I do lots of things in addition to trying. But the you know when I when I look back when I look back over uh, you know various back tests and look at things that have been purchased, all of the big winners always come from a point of being undervalued, which typically means you know EV EBIT was like ten or less. Like that's that's just the case. You could have got Microsoft around that kind of level in two thousand eleven. You got. Google around that kind of level, like 2014, 15, from recollection. I need to go and have another look at that, but that's that's the case. Like it's it's trying to it's I'm trying to do what I think Buffett actually does, which is he buys wonderful companies, but he only buys them when they get dirt cheap. And then you know you're going to be wrong on some. Some turn out to be donuts. Some never become wonderful again, but some go back. And then there's things like Microsoft. Like it probably really wasn't a wonderful company at that point. It was pretty good. Still had pretty good returns on equity. But it had that one year where it backed off the revs. Growth stopped. Yeah, growth yeah. stopped. Yeah. Barmer had been there. Stock hadn't done anything for like 13 years, 14 years. And you had to buy it at that point. And then it becomes this super compounder software as a service stock. Yeah. And that's how you get the returns. But nobody Let was buying it then thinking this. that. Could you think about, and I'm like, I've struggled with trying to figuring out, I guess I'm not CFA level enough to, to know the answer to this, but if you thought about Berkshire as a bond, which I always find it interesting when Buffett takes that analogy and uses bond as, because it's so much easier to anchor onto what the cash flow is from a bond, right? And so then you can get a little bit, there's less uncertainty about the flows of cash over time which allows you to think a little bit more clearly about it. But if you thought about Berkshire as a as a 100-year bond, their equity as a 100-year bond with a a a 10% coupon because their ROE is probably going to be around 10% and I feel like that's a pretty reasonable bet given the the businesses that they're in and what they're likely to do. I, my math has at a PE of roughly 15, that means that it's the bond is trading at around 104 to get to like a 7% yield from a 10% coupon. All with a taunting type structure where 5% of the shareholders are dying every year. Dying, right? Not not actually dying, the being, being retired. Back. Yeah. Yeah. So what would what would a bond if it was called that with those principles in it like what would that trade for is 104 the right price or is that like kind of stupidly priced yeah then? it sounds way too low in this market how, how do you get to 104 is that the price to book or is that the no that's that's a seven percent yield earnings yield on a ten percent flow like a ten percent coupon. So to the difference between oh, 10 That's... and 7, it, like, it's a, sort of like a yield to maturity it seems too kind low. of idea. Is that right? That seems too low. I might be off on that math. I've, I'm struggling to get that right. I'm sure there's somebody who's smarter than me who could say like, no, idiot, that's not right. But it, I'm in the ballpark at least. So it's think, a 10% coupon and you're getting it to 7% yield. A 7% yield, doesn't that mean that it has to be up? Like it's the up, it's the inverse of seven right that's why it's at 104 like if it was at if it was a 10 percent yield It'd be and a 10 percent coupon yeah. it would be at 100 yeah somebody do the math i think it's a little bit higher than that can you yeah. all see me 
My computer just went completely dark. <laughs> You've got a. Uh, you're pensive, but, could... but you're. Okay. Yeah, you are right. pensive. That was. That was yeah, uh, I I could hear some of what you were saying, but not everything. Somebody commented that Rocket Companies was going to the moon, and I tried to look, and it ruined everything. And it is going to the moon, and that is what, a great Rocket business Rocket. that I've liked for a while. Yeah, but it is probably going to the moon for reasons not related to the business. Thank you, because Wall Street Pets. Space. Space exploration thing with the rocket. <laughs> no, I think they got no more shares left to short or something like that. Uh, I mean, it's up sixty percent since like one and one p.m. or something like that. So it's it's moving. That's, that's the new down. <laughs> it's a weird world, man. I mean, um, I I'm sorry to not know what you were talking about, but I I don't. I kind of didn't know what about. I was talking about either. So it's you're on okay. the same page with me. All right, cool. I think long term, if Berkshire buys in $20 billion a year, it's going to be hard to have a totally unsatisfactory result from here. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to outperform. I mean, that sort of depends on whether or not today's just, you know, multiples are justified, which I think some people say they are and some people say they aren't, and we'll sort of see. Did you say 10% return on equity? Is that all? It's higher than that, isn't it? Well, I'm I'm kind of going off of their really big redeployments into their into Berkshire Energy and BNSF, which are going to give you probably a regulatory ten percent ish return. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Forward looking. Just have a quick... What do you think self driving does to BNSF? Uh, like, I don't. You could start I mean, to drive the that's cost not the competition. down. I mean, it's the competition thing, is right? trucking, right? That's the yeah. Well, issue. that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, long road trucks on a highway, 3D printing. Like if I don't have to move materials around the surface of the earth you still do as that. much as I, not, maybe not, yeah. you still will, but maybe not finished maybe products not overseas, but you're still going to have to move them in within the borders of the country. And you're going to need to get commodities over here somewhere too. You know, Japan has to import everything. It's interesting how long Buffett is on natural gas. He likes natural gas a lot. I think that's smart. I mean, I don't as I think as, you know, Texas has shown us recently, it's really hard to get all the way and meet some of these renewable goals that we all aspire towards without a pretty healthy segment of natural gas electricity to to stem you between when the renewables aren't working. Can I just say, like, for people that are like, oh, he's not a visionary, like, Berkshire Hathaway Energy has done more for renewable energy than most energy companies. Like, the idea that this guy isn't investing for the future or something is an absurd narrative to try to craft. Whoever said that? I just see it. Yeah, those people are full of shit. I just think they're not thinking. Or they're like, they like to hate on him, which, fine, like, go hate on him. But the dude has crushed your career. So... <laughs> You know, there's like two people that deserve to say scoreboard to him. And, you know, the rest of us are just commentators in the peanut gallery. Who is it? Musk and Bezos? No, I would say Bezos and Gates. Not Musk? We'll let that one play out. I like Buffett's ideas on that. That He says when he wakes up and looks in the mirror, that's everyone who needs to have their say has had their say. <laughs> yeah. I think Musk is a bit like Sammy Sosa. We'll see if uh, the bat's Ooh. corked or not. Corked bat, huh? Anyway, 
Send your question. Speaking of uh, baseball analogies, I was thinking the other day about, uh, you know, you, you're putting us in like the fifth inning or whatever. Where are we yeah. at with that, first of all? Fifth inning? Oh, I don't know. We had a little bit of a pullback. The starter maybe iced their arm. They're, they they might have another couple throws left in them. I, so I thought counter, they were getting tired, but they might be back. My counter to that is that that might be right. However, we met, most of the runs that are going to be scored in this game have already been scored. And so it's just going to be it might just be sort of not much happening for the next few innings before the game is over. I think you underestimate how stupid this could get. I don't you are you are you Fair. seeing how stupid it is? I don't I mean I think that it's not that stupid yet. I think this is like dot com level stupid at the moment. Nah, not close. Still got still got 2 trillion left on Apple. Look at SPCE. Look at space. <laughs> There is craziness. Don't get me wrong. There is objectively crazy, but that's not. I'm not. GME the, got the weed bubbles. Bitcoin. People paying people paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for these uh, these non fungible tokens. Yeah, like, this is uh, interesting. Like ba- is this Beanie Babies all over again? Yeah. Digital Beanie Babies? Yeah. I got to tell you something, it. though. We need can, to raise rates. Can I just say something? <laughs> Grimes is pretty talented at what she's doing. Like, that I was pretty talented it. stuff. I looked at some of those that she was, like, designing. She's a very artistic woman. Are you allowed to look at them? I mean, you don't own them. <laughs> well, I lo- let's put it this way. I looked at her Twitter feed. Like, I, I, I think that there's... Something very in look, I don't understand it. Okay, I'm not going to buy it, but I don't really understand art to be perfectly candid, right? And this is just digital art, so um, you know, to me, it's basically the same asset class. It's it's very interesting how like Jim Bianco this week, not somebody that I would perceive to be a Bitcoin bull, is talking about how like this is the like next iteration of the financial system. He laid out like four things. Look at his Twitter feed. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but he's talking about it. That's not like this is part of the the Bitcoin thesis is like it's going to start to get adopted by institutions. And then the idea starts to get fermented. And that starts to like, I mean, that's sort of playing out now, whether or not the price makes sense is sort of, you know, I mean, I know that especially a group of value investors are going to get super pissed off at hearing that. I don't have an idea what it should trade at. Um, But like between that and these non-fungible tokens, it's weird stuff going on. I think it's interesting. I don't know how it all turns out. Yeah, it could definitely be beanie. I wouldn't pay a dollar for any of this crap. It's just, (laughs) but you know, I mean, and I, I don't mean that about Bitcoin. I mean that about like NFTs and stuff like that. I, I reserve judgment on Bitcoin. There's this, this, someone's got the comment up here. There's these, uh, you can get five second NBA videos, right? Of, was that top yeah. shots or something yeah. like that? What is I that? I don't understand. What, what do you want? You want like Tyler Hero hitting something from the free throw? That's stupid. You well, wait, me- but what do you get though? You get to just watch it over and over again. Can I watch that on yeah. Sports Center? You can for free. No, I don't think you can unless on I YouTube. don't think you can watch it on. I think you get to, to get paid if Sports Center. I think in theory you should get to get paid if Sports Center runs your clip. So, for instance, like Ray Allen draining that three that saved the Heat against the Spurs, like that's a big moment. I can actually understand somebody wanting to own that. Some random shot, like that's stupid. Well, what? How do you own that though? Isn't that already owned by tokenization, NBA bro? When they sell Jeez. it, do you buy it from the NBA then? 
I think they are releasing it, yes. So this is just fractionalizing content that they've already they they license from ABC or what are they licensed to ABC to Correct. just to show it live, but then if they ever show it again, I get paid. I believe that that's the concept. That okay. that's the I'm only concept that, that I actually. That's not understand. a bad idea. Cash flow yeah. just fractionalized though in a way. <laughs> if you really see, want why does own... it have to be on the blockchain? Why can't I just own it like anything else? Like I, I can know. own a catalog of songs. Well, you can do you that. Pay. You can. There's a there's a site you can go to and you can buy the rights to uh, to lots of different songs. I, I can't think what it is, but I've gone and had a look just to see if there were some old songs that I really liked that were. They go for surprisingly little money, some of them, and they sort of show what their income stream has been like over the last few years. Um, I didn't I mean, buy anything. I just want to say the guy that I know that retired on the beach from flipping oil companies said three years ago, baseball cards are bombed out. I'm going to go collect baseball cards because they're going to come back. And now he's flipping them for insane profits relative to like what he paid. And he's laughing as he's doing it. And he jokes that he's going to like a year and a half ago, he was like, I'm going to make up crypto kitties. And sure as shit, people started to trade crypto kitties on the Internet. So, like, I do think there's a lot of insanity going on. And I have somebody yelling in my ear consistently that there is. Um, I just think that there's. What are you waiting know, for? There, what 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 moment of peak insanity do you think? I don't know. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. What, what are we kind of looking for? Like, I want to know that. You'll, after it crashes, he'll tell you it was the ninth thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, I've said over and over again, I think Apple 5 trillion. I think if Microsoft doubles from here, uh, you know, I I think I think uh, that's probably it. I think once you have like zero equity risk premium and rates this low, that's when people can really get their faces just destroyed. If that happens, I'm selling everything. I'll tell you guys right now, I'm out. I, I will not mess around in that game. I'll still play this one because I still think you can get good cash flow out of cable companies relative to rates. I still think you can find decent investments places. Like, I think Berkshire, if you're not willing to take a, you know, if, if that's your perception of not a lot of risk, I think you could easily make 7 to 10% in that entity over time. Like, that's not crazy to me. There's There's not enough crazy to tell me that things are, like, objectively crazy. I do think that there's stupid going on, though. And I agree on that. So I got a good question. Argument and well, go ahead. Yeah, let's get to some. You probably could make the same argument in '99. So maybe I have no idea. So, but so I think that's the problem. I think you kind of like Buffett's analogy of being Cinderella at the ball, where uh, the clocks have no hands on them, is exactly right. Yeah, you just. I'm just trying not to be caught in it. I think we're all in it. I don't think there's any way out. Like I think that I'm not buying spacs. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I, I think that when when the when you really get the bloodletting. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah, that's that's fine. I, I don't disagree with that, but I don't know what to do with that. I mean, there are places to not be. There are pl- there's going to be a ground zero, and you don't want to be standing at ground zero, and that's going to be, you know, probably anything that's not making money is going to be carved to pieces. Even the even the like that's what happens. Like that's how you get the great prices at the bottom because things get sold for silly prices, and people don't sell because they want to. They sell because they have to. Well, they sell because they're panicked. I mean, look, I, I guess that the the conversation that I had with Nafel, uh that that like changed the way that I think about some of this is I think that there's a reasonable probability that he articulated that like policy has cut off a lot of the left tail of financial prices for now. 
So the so the left tail is gone, which means asset prices sort of re-rate higher. And then in three years or so, the way that this sort of fixes itself uh, is through inflation. And, you know, then then there's going to be nowhere to hide. But that's by design. Yeah. Couldn't you have made that argument at any time in the last uh, hundred and what, 1913, the Federal Reserve was founded? Yeah. yeah, but that's why I think a lot of people have gotten destroyed making the inflation argument. They've just not been correct as far as like how we calculate inflation, which, you know, is flawed. But that's let me throw some know. questions at you guys. Throw yeah, some questions. Buy some, buy some NFTs. Throw some questions at us. Buy some crypto kitties. Buy a couple of rare baseball cards. Like, I mean, this is what's going on. This is what people are thinking. I think people are wrong. Questions. Uh, what happens to Geico of full self-driving advances? What would Buffett do to hedge against that Samson Narakobi, who's a big holder of Tesla, big big Musk fan? Obviously, the answer is that Geico fails and he should hedge it by buying Tesla. Samson, is that the answer you wanted? <laughs> That's what he wanted to hear. The actual answer is that there's going to be exactly the same number of accents as there always have been. It's just it'll be a car that's responsible rather than the driver. Still going to hit walls and make mistakes for a long time. I buy that. For a long time. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Probably for a while. You're also going to have, you know... You're going to need insurance my, anyway. You're not going to get away yeah. with no insurance. My guess is premiums will fall slower than they than risk will. Yeah. I and therefore, it, early on, it, I bet it's a boon for Geico. Yeah. But maybe long term, not as much. I don't know. Uh, if to hit, it's you... always ten years away, so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get flying cars before we get self driving cars. No, that's not true. I think we get self driving cars earlier than that. Cars suck these days. I tried to price out a car that I would like, and it's like I can't. I mean, it's it's stupid expensive. And then like you got all these chips, and it's just gonna get totaled and sent to car part. Like the Tesla that my grandma had totaled backing out of the garage. That's insane. Well, that doesn't Tesla. make any sense. But I mean, if that's where cars are going, like that's crazy. It's a profit what center a, for Tesla. I know, but think about what you're gonna have to pay for insurance. So you well, talk about you like what happens to Geico. Geico is gonna make a lot of money for a little while, and then maybe it's like one last ring of the orange or whatever. But I bet it, I bet it produces a lot of juice. Dude, by, by the way, speaking of Geico. Buffett's been following Geico for 70 years. How much, like, you think you know a company, right? Like, you're like, oh, I've, I've been following this a long time. I really know this one inside and out. 70 years. Imagine how much more you understand than what we're capable of on anything. I mean, just amazing. The other thing, too, I did a little math on Geico, when it first started, did uh, $238,000 of business. And it, it's now at $35 billion a year in business. That's a 15.4% compound annual growth rate for 83 years. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Yeah, that is. Buy Tesla. Buy yeah, short Geico. Somebody wanted us to comment on U.S. Uh, multi-state operators in the weed space. I don't know enough. I'm working on it. I'll tell you when I have an opinion. There's a lot of water in that space. A lot of water? Yeah. A lot of air, a lot of hot water. air. They're watered. Oh yeah, Jason Wilde is a cool dude, man. I, I found out about him. He's 
That guy's a monster. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on Harley Davidson? That's very specific. I I think Harley's almost more of a shit yeah, along here. Yeah, that's a terrible business going forward. I think. I just don't think people. I mean, look at all the data on motorcycles. I don't see them coming back. What What's the data say? It's not good. It says that a bunch of boomers bought a bunch of motorcycles and now they don't like them as much. Oh, so you can get them secondhand cheaper. Well, it's just not, I, they're just not selling well, right? I mean, it's a great brand. I, I just think it was a better brand 15 years ago than it is now. Yeah. I was at a biker rally, though, just this weekend. Not like at it, but I drove by one. They seem to be having a lot of fun. Scantily clad women, so that's still going What was going the on. average average age? It was old. Yeah. A lot of wrinkles. That's Well, that might be a Florida thing, too. Could be. On the on the VZ investment, are we overlooking Buffett on Verizon? Nine percent yield. Wow, with some growth, is great in this rate environment. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. What's your uh, What's your feeling on that? What, what Why are you so anti the VZ investment? Capex gobbles up all that dividend. Yeah, they they've got a ton of debt. They've got. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's a fine balance sheet. Like, it's not like a ton of debt, but they they've got a dividend that they have to service, and I, they just spent a bunch of money on Spectrum, and the five G strategy doesn't have me convinced that that's not going to just require a ton of capital. And uh, T Moose is eating everybody's lunch because they have a better mousetrap, and it's just not something that I'm particularly interested in. I, I'll tell you what, I've never made a good investment in that setup. A big company trading at a, at a cheap multiple really hasn't gone very well for me. So that could be the problem. Especially not one that has huge capital requirements. You're just bitching about not buying Google, and now you're... <laughs> it's not at a cheap multiple, though. When has well, Google ever traded a 9% yield? Nah, and it's always been growing 30%. It doesn't require capital. So it's like a completely different business. I don't know about that. It doesn't require it capital. Have you looked at CapEx on these big Have tech you looked companies? at the margin, sir? I'll get out of here. You're out of your mind. Gents, uh, one last question, then it's time. So quick answers. Any thoughts on, this is a big one, unfortunately. Any thoughts on Preston's argument that inflation or government money printing is going into assets? I mean, I, I can't see how. Apparently, yeah, you're not allowed to say this. Apparently, this is a thing that you're not allowed to say. But it, like, of, of course it is, right? Yeah. How wouldn't it be? Look at what's going on. Yeah. All right. Is, is there even a question here? I didn't. I mean, I mean. I, listen to the odd lots about SPACs. Like, I, I really think we're in this environment. And I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is if we always have been, and this is just sort of a different world, but like Finfluencers and meme stocks and stuff, like, that's where we're at right now. So that seems pretty toppy uh, to me. I'd yeah. be, uh, yeah, Day Trader with an ETF. Did you see that? Yeah. No, that's crazy. Jesus. Yeah. I'm impressed with the way he markets it. I, I, yeah. Wasn't that I, nice little video he put together? No, you were allowed to do that. <laughs> I know. What have you been doing this whole time, Toby? You right, do on like a picture writing. I'm going to have to watch it. And... <laughs> that's it for this week. Thanks, amigos. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13 Sing one, one, two, three, three, three four Cause, cause, cause yeah. No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it